everyone, and welcome to Music Talks, discussions on music education, the podcast written by future music educators for future music educators. If this is your first time here, welcome, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Megan Wright, and I serve as the current advocacy chair for the Florida NAFME Collegiate Advocacy Committee, which this podcast is an extension of. Joining me on this episode are committee members Izzy Guzman and Faith Smith. On each episode, we discuss various topics and perspectives in music and talk about how we as collegiates can approach them, both in our future music classrooms and as citizens of Florida, the United States, and the world. Today, we will be discussing building relationships as music educators. Due to the current state of the country and the world, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, discussions will include thoughts on relationship building both in a virtual and a non-virtual world. As future music educators, we will never be able to do our job alone. We will constantly need to be relying on our relationships with friends, colleagues, parents, administrators, and of course, students to help get ourselves and our programs where we want them to be. Being intentional about building these relationships is one of the first steps in finding success in our future careers. Today, Izzy and Faith will be sharing their thoughts on building relationships with parents, students, and the community, while I finish out this episode with an interview with Mr. Gory Spencer, music specialist for Pinellas County Public Schools, in which he discusses our different spheres of support and how we can utilize our various relationships to help create an optimal music education experience for our students. First, I'm gonna pass it to Izzy as she talks about the student and teacher connection. Hi, I'm Izzy. I'm a freshman music education major at the University of Miami, and my primary instrument is jazz trombone. However, I also play a lot of other brass instruments, and this is my first year on the advocacy committee. Now, I think one of the most important topics to talk about when uh, discussing building relationships in a virtual and a non-virtual world is the parent-teacher connection. And even bringing this full circle, the parent-teacher-student connection, you know, think of kind of like a little a triangle of, you know, you have the parent, you have the student, and you have the teacher. Having all three of these people connected is imperative to building community in your classroom. And I think even now, especially now with the whole um, virtual setting where it's harder for parents to meet up with teachers and for students to get individual times with teachers, that this is very crucial for teachers to communicate with students and parents on a regular basis. And when talking about teachers communicating with students, I don't just mean talking to them during class and doing regular class activities and having students participate in class. I mean uh, teachers engaging with students outside of class. And I think especially uh, the younger the grade level uh, you're teaching, the more important this is because the students are going to have less independence and are going to be more reliant on their parents and their teacher. So one idea that I've um, found a lot from other teachers is sending out newsletters. Um, Teachers sending out newsletters to the parents and the parents can read the newsletters or see it as well with the students. Um, And basically this could just keep parents in the loop on what the student is doing in the music classroom. And again, this would be um, brilliant for especially non-performance settings where students are uh, learning more things that are standard-based 
um, rather than performance-based, you know, learning skills such as rhythms and singing and just more specific things. In a band and choral setting, I would see these newsletters more being along the lines of, we're working on this for our concert, and this is when the concert is. Of course, this would be when COVID ends, but even in a virtual world, having these newsletters can be extremely important for making sure that students and parents are in the loop of things for any class projects. Say that there is a class project in your middle school band and you're recording a piece. Well, the parents should be kept in the loop of everything to make sure that they know what they need to do for the student to be able to adequately record. Because let's be honest, especially at the middle school and high school level, students are not always going to keep their parents in the loop of things. They want to keep everything to themselves and be in their kind of own bubble. So the teacher sending out all that information is going to be extremely helpful now, another way um, to build the parent-teacher connection is to have parent-teacher meetings. It sounds so simple, but I trust you, it's so effective. At least it was extremely effective for my high school band program where we had kind of a, a band booster, which was primarily um, helping out with the financial and fundraising side of things. But there were also meetings um, within that and outside of the boosters um, that were just about what is going on in the program and gathering parent ideas. And especially for any field trips or big concerts coming up, this could be really helpful. For example, my high school's orchestra was going to Carnegie Hall one year. So they had a bunch of parent meetings I think every two weeks or every month, I forgot, but it was on a regular schedule and they sent out this schedule at the beginning of the school year so that uh, every meeting they would discuss, okay, this is when the next payments do. This is what is going on when we get to Carnegie Hall. This is what the trip is going to look like. You know, just everything that the parents need to know for their child to be able to adequately participate in this trip and for them to be able to afford this trip because there's tons of steps, as we all know, to preparing this kind of thing, especially when you have a band in Orlando, Florida, going to New York. That's a pretty big thing. So no matter the trip, big or small, um, keeping parents in the loop through, whether it be on Zoom or face-to-face -face meetings, and also keeping parents... Uh, you know, letting parents share their voice and sharing their opinion is also helpful. If the parents aren't happy with the program and are not able to share their ideas to improve it, their kids probably aren't going to be happy in the program either. So it's, I think it's very important for there to be almost a forum of sorts every once in a while with teacher and all the parents or even on an individual basis where parents could basically share their ideas on what they want to see in the program, especially if the parents, you know, are parents who have been in band before or have their own program, perhaps. You know, I definitely have some friends whose parents are more musically inclined. If their parents are not musically inclined, that's fine. I'm sure, you know, they still have other ideas or maybe they're totally satisfied. That's all great, too. So those are all my ideas, and I'm sure there's a lot more out there, but I think these are really great starting points. Having a newsletter and having 
regular meetings with the parents and the teacher, as well as teacher and the students. Now, this, this topic is primarily about the parent-teacher connection, but especially now during coronavirus and the pandemic and remote learning, it's important for us as educators to realize the social and emotional needs of students. They're going to feel burnt out sometimes in your program. And it's not always about us, the teachers. You know, they could just be, they're going through something at home. They could be burned out by remote learning. They, you know, there could be so many things going on and we don't know what's going on, you know, because we're not inside their homes. We're just with them in a school setting. And it's so common for students to kind of put on this happy face in school as if nothing's wrong because school is this environment where you're expected to do so well and you're expected to please your teachers. So what you see might not always be what is actually going on outside of school. So keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, I think it's just imperative for teachers to check in with students. You know, it, it could be so easy to just go on and on for a long time about a musical topic, but maybe just take a couple minutes or even a whole day or so. Just ask your students, how are you feeling? How is the situation treating you? What can I do to make it better for you? Because students' voices are just as valid as the voices of adults. Um, so the, again, those are all of my tips to keeping that kind of cycle going through in your program. It's going to make a huge change for making sure that everyone in the program is in the loop and is happy and, you know, will stay in the program for years to come. So I hope this helps. Thanks, Izzy, for all the great ideas and input. I think it's really easy for us to see how important those teacher and student relationships are going to be in the future. Next, I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Faith to talk about how our NAFME chapters can take the theme of relationship building and apply it at the community and local level. Hello, I'm Faith Smith and I'm a member of the Florida Collegiate NAFME State Advocacy Committee. Today, I will be talking to you about how your collegiate NAFME chapters can get involved at the community or local level. The first thing I have for you is to get involved or volunteer in your community. As you may be thinking, this is a very broad idea, but that's a good thing because it means that there's an abundance of opportunity. Let's start by looking at how collegiate NAFME chapters can get involved with their local schools. With the arts taking a hard hit from the pandemic, it's no surprise that fundraising is a must right now. So why not use your NAFME chapter to help raise money for schools that are most in need in your district? Try connecting to your district's director of fine arts. They'll be able to tell you which schools will be great candidates for your fundraising efforts. And you never know. This may be a game changer for those fine arts programs. Now, we've all heard or even been part of all county or all district ensembles. As future music educators, we can all see why those events often take many hours of works and planning to pull off. The teachers in your counties would be more than happy to receive more assistance with these events. So try contacting your local teachers and ask them how your NAFME chapters, or even just you as an individual, can help be a part of these events. Have you ever heard of Tri-M chapters? 
Hopefully you have. If not, Tri-M is an extension of NAFME and is a music honor society for middle school and high school students. Your school's collegiate NAFME chapter can pair up with the Tri-M chapters that are near your school. Your chapter can help these Tri-M students with efforts such as fundraising, membership recruitment, and service projects. Just contact the chapter advisors or music directors at those schools about ways that you or your chapter can start getting involved. Sadly, many music directors don't start Tri-M chapters at their schools because it does have an extra time commitment. We know it can be hard for music educators to find time in their busy schedules. And if you know a music director in this situation, you can offer to help kickstart their program so that the students still have the opportunity to engage in this honor society and the director won't be under as much stress. Finally, share your talent. Look into performing at your local farmers markets or festivals. With the pandemic starting to wind down more and more, the public is starving for live music. And now we know how to perform safely. So get out there and share your passion for music with others. That's all I have for you folks. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll send it back over to Megan. Thanks, Faith. You had me at Farmer's Market. Next, we are going to welcome our guest speaker for this episode, Mr. Agori Spencer. I'll let him introduce himself, but Mr. Spencer is a great resource for all things music education, and I truly enjoyed speaking with him about this topic. I am Agori Spencer. I'm the Pre-K-12 Performing Arts Specialist for Pinellas County Schools. And what that means is I'm the art supervisor for the county um, for music, for theater, and dance. Prior to that, I was a middle school band director. So a lot of my experiences dealing with that very special age where <laughs> every day is a new day and a new person, um, which, you know, is really helpful in this position because, you know, when you have to juggle so many different things and spin the different plates, it's very similar to juggling those, those personalities. So that's awesome. Yes, thank you so much. So um, when did you first realize collaboration was so important to you? Um, I think it was pretty early in my time at um, at FSU. Um, I came from a small rural area where there really weren't a ton of opportunities that were just close by. So the way that you got opportunities, you know, was to sort of go outside of your bubble and, and you know, and find those experiences. So um, I was a, well, not was, I am a saxophone player. Um, and, you know, if I, if I, there was a, you know, saxophonist who was a little more famous coming into town, coming into town for me might be three hours away. Um, but if I wanted to sort of build that connection or, try to meet them or something like that, then that required putting in a little bit more effort. But then on, you know, on the other side of it, then, you know, you send a follow-up email and, you know, it was, it was so nice to meet you, blah, 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 blah. Here's how I traveled in and, you know, here's what I learned. And so, you, you know, sort of what we were talking about earlier with putting a, putting a human with the experience, you sort of connect those two. And then there's a little bridge that you have built. Um, and, and so it just sort of goes from there. So you start to realize when you don't have the resources around you that you have to collaborate if you want to get them. 
Yes, definitely. I totally agree on all of that. Mr. Spencer, I've heard you talk at previous meetings about our networks of support as music educators, specifically young and up and coming, maybe first or second year music educators. Can you kind of walk me through those a little bit of the different, like our personal circle, our school community? Oh, perfect. You have them written down. In case I, I do. Forever. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the first one you talked about was like your personal circle. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think with the personal circle, that's the one where we, we talk about vulnerability a lot because anytime you're collaborating with people or seeking help it requires some level of putting yourself out there and feeling vulnerable so usually your personal circle is your go-to because those are your you know those are your close friends your classmates your colleagues who you've known longer and things like that so those might be quick you know quick questions where I like the joke sometimes I would be on the podium and I would have an issue with a student or something I couldn't figure out. And I would just pull out my phone and be like, okay, who's in my, who's in my personal circle where I can call them right now. And they're going to see I'm calling, even though they're teaching, they're going to know it's something quick. And also they're not going to like laugh at me for having this question that I perceive as stupid. It's not a stupid question, but you know, something I perceive as like a little bit more silly and they're not going to judge me. They're just going to answer it and be on their way. And like those people who you feel incredibly comfortable doing things like that with, you know, that's your personal circle and you'll probably lean on them the most. And then I think that as you get older, a little more mature in your educational development, you start to lean on your other circles because you can't know everybody. So like over time, you know, you start to lean on circles where it's like, hey, I only know your name, but I need help. What <laughs> <laughs> was the next one? And we can go through the, <laughs> through the other circles. <laughs> The next one was your school community. So like administrators, Ooh, teachers. Ooh, yes. This is the one where I really think it's like an untapped resource, especially for arts teachers, because we're, we're so siloed. So, you know, let's say that you're the only music teacher in your school and you, you won't necessarily immediately see the value in like, hey, let me go talk to the criminal justice teacher, which was like my person when I, when I was a first year teacher or something like that, because you're like, oh, they don't know what I do. But they're still after a school, they're still a teacher or an educator of some kind. So they bring a wealth of experiences that you don't have um, to the table. And honestly, they bring some outside perspective. Like that's one of the cool things about the, you know, the job I'm in now is I work with a lot more people who aren't arts people and I'm realizing a lot of the job as a translator, you know, you take the sort of emotional response of, of, of an arts teacher and then you go to, you know, an, an assistant principal and you're like, here's what they're saying, sort of with the like emotion stripped away. Um, and then they give you some, you know, some information and then you sort of run that back to the arts people. So really engaging with people who aren't in our specific subject or subjects um, is really valuable because they're going to bring expertise about the school in particular, um, they're going to bring, you know, some information about, you know, procedures and how things work, but also history of the school. There were times where, you know, especially in my first or second year, you, you know, uh, uh, I think she was a she was a history teacher or a civics teacher. And she would come and say, hey, I've gone to all the concerts for years. You might want to know X, Y, Z. And if I had just sort of assumed like, hey, there are no other arts teachers here or hey, the course teacher just got here with me nobody knows and not sort of leaned on the rest of my school community, then I wouldn't have gotten that information that was really relevant before the concert. <laughs> yes, I love that. Can you spend a second talking about administrators specifically and how you can get them involved in your program? Sure. 
Um, <laughs> I think that's coming into any school, um, especially as being someone who's new, that's a first priority. You really want to make sure that you're really your whole school community, but especially your administrators know and understand what you're doing. And if you come in um, under the assumption that, hey, this is going to be a learning experience for everyone, let me teach them along the way, then that'll be really helpful to you in the future. So some things I liked to do in the classroom, um, like I said, I was a middle school band director, so I had instrument testing. So sometimes I would bring an administrator in during that just so they could see the process. I was very fortunate in my last job, um, I knew my principal was in band. And so that that was in the back of my head and I found out what he played and he played saxophone. So I knew that. So on the first day that the kids played, I brought him in. Now, of course, we had built the relationship for me to say, hey, I have this crazy idea. Can you just come by? Um, and our relationship was strong enough where he would just trust me and show up. Um, and he was a fun guy. Um, but so he, I treated him as one of the beginners. I put him in the saxophone sack. I told him to bring his saxophone. He brought his saxophone from when he was in school so, and we dusted it off. And he sat with, uh, he sat in the saxophone section and, you know, as I, as I like made sure that their cases were facing the right way. So the latches would go up. He did it with them and he sort of went through that whole process. Of course he was an adult and I already knew how to do some of that, but I still showed in front of the kids. I was like, Oh no, 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 you're moving ahead. Like even to him. <laughs> so they could see like, no, we're going to do all this together. And he was such a good sport about it where he really went through the process, but it allowed him to see oh my gosh, this day where they are all playing for the first time, Mr. Spencer is juggling 10 different instruments at the same time. He's given instructions to all these different groups and the instructions are different and they're going toward the same goal, but all their fingers go in different places. Like he was g gaining so much information about what I do and how it works that even though he respected me before and he really did, it gave a whole nother level of respect um, and then sort of just tying that into evaluations and teacher evaluations, there are so many things on the rubrics, no matter which rubric your county uses, that are checked off. Sorry, my screen flipped. <laughs> so many <laughs> things that are checked off um, from just that experience. Like talk about differentiated education, seeing 10 different instrument groups being started at the same time. His mind was blown. And that was just sort of one experience that, that I created there. I would have administrators come in and narrate on concerts if there was some bit of narration or introduce the concerts at the very beginning, close the concerts out. You know, I'd have them stop by if I knew there was going to be some either big lesson or some aha moment that was going to happen during class or anything like that. I would make sure to include an administrator or a guidance counselor or people in the front office so that, um, you know, kids got little mini audiences. And what that meant was it built a strong relationship where he knew he could just bring people by, which was always scary, but it kept you on your toes. So there were times where, you know, the, the mayor would walk in and he's like, oh, I just want you, like, I just brought the mayor to hear blah, blah, blah. And it would be like, you know, the beginning band who was a little bit more on the struggle bus than the other ones. It's like, okay, kids, let's see what we can play. Cause the mayor's here or, you know, and, and just things like that. Like, Oh, one of his other principal friends is in, you know, is stopping by the school to study something. And he's like, oh, I have to bring you by the band room. I want you to see X, Y, Z. And so it was like, it, it created this place in his heart and in his mind where he was like, Hey, this is really, really valuable. And he always wanted to show people. And there's, there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds like the ideal relationship, really getting right, that. Right that back and forth and that trust between you guys. 
So the next one that you had talked about was your district and using people within your district. Yes. And, and I'll speak to that a few different ways because it, you know, it doesn't escape me that I'm in a larger district, not the largest, but a larger district where we have, you know, over 200 arts teachers and 100,000 students. Um, so it doesn't escape me that obviously I came from a small area where maybe my district, I know that this is audio, uh, but maybe my district, I, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, is, <laughs> is a few counties around me or, you know, as, or a local college or something like that. So my district might look different, but there's such a wealth of knowledge, especially when you're coming in as a brand new teacher whether that is brand new to that particular district or just brand new to teaching, you know, find out immediately, you know, ask tons of questions, find out the people who do X well. And I think one thing that's important and that we forget to value is everyone does something well. And there is value in learning from every single teacher in your county, your district, your area. You know, maybe this one person's, uh, orchestra sounds really, really, really good. So you want to, you know, talk to them about how they're developing that tone. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a program that has, you know, incredibly large numbers and you want to talk to them about how they recruit or how they retain students or what relationships they develop across the different levels. But it's important to sort of like observe your district and, and your area, but also to ask a ton of questions and learn what can I learn from XYZ. So one thing I did was um, digitally was I had a, a OneDrive folder. And so, you know, being a middle school band director, I had, I collaborated with several other middle school band directors and we had this folder where we, one folder within it was just for articles or cool things that we found that we thought might be helpful. Let's say we created a rubric and we're like, hey, no reason to reinvent the wheel. Here's this rubric so that everyone else can use it. I did that a lot. Uh, one of my good friends was really good at like creating forms and I was really good at erasing the name of the school and changing it to my school. <laughs> Great at it. Did it so well. Um, so that was really useful. But one of the folders was for recordings and that was the one that I used the most. Um, and the other rest of the group would admit much more than the other members of the group. <laughs> but that was because I was so willing to be vulnerable in order to get better. Um, so we would be very early in the process and I would post this recording and I'm like, Hey, I know like everything is wrong, but can you listen and give feedback on everything except X, Y, and Z? Cause I already know that. Um, and, and I would do that constantly. Um, and that was really helpful to rely on those other people in my County to, you know, listen so that in case my ears were sort of getting stale to what I was hearing, they gave a fresh perspective or, and sometimes it would be something that I didn't even notice. Um, and, and there's so much value in that. I would do rehearsathons where there would be a, a Saturday where I'd have the whole school to myself with just one band group and I would bring in 12, 13 teachers and have them, you know, work in sectionals, work with my group, full group and things like that. And it's amazing what you discover. Like there were times where, you know, teachers would come to me and they're like, hey, you're missing this whole harmony in this chord because you haven't given this part to anyone. And I'm like, oh, um, well, yeah, miss that. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the chord, they're like, literally the chord's not complete. You're missing a whole part. Um, but that took bringing other people in, bringing other good people in, especially to, you know, to sort of challenge what I was hearing, seeing, teaching, and push to make my students better and make me better. And I, I value that so much, you know, visiting other people's classrooms, things like that. 
in a typical year, I would probably bring in at least 15 or so teachers throughout the school year. And I would try to make it out to at least five other classrooms. Now that might be an after school rehearsal. That might not necessarily be during the school day, um, which I would always try to do at least once or twice because it just really keeps you fresh. Can you talk a little bit about that um, going out to other teachers things and how you can kind of create the environment so that it's okay for you to go out to other teachers classrooms and the kind of classrooms you want to go out to and why? Yeah. Um, at the very basic level, like obviously if you are going somewhere during the school day, you need a sub. Um, and that's where sort of that relationship with your principal comes in. Um, and, and, you know, every school is different and every school's budget is different. I was really fortunate at my first school to have a very supportive principal who also understood that even though I seemed to be good for where I was, you know, like in being my first year, I wasn't satisfied and he recognized that and how important that was. And so I remember coming to him and saying, hey, like, I have never experienced block schedule in my life. Like, this is so different to me. This is weird. This is wild. It's 90 minutes with middle schoolers. Like, I don't understand. And he was like, oh, you're doing fine. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I am uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And so I asked him as someone who was a principal who had been in the county for 30 years, I was like, who is the best at this? Like, I need to go see the best. And like, when, when he understood, like, hey, this is a new teacher, who's not satisfied just being okay. And he valued that. He was like, okay, like this is the best, like put in the day, like I'll figure out the money. Now I recognize that that's not going to be everyone's situation. Um, And at some point you have to decide, and this isn't my first recommendation, but if it is valuable enough to you or you like need it, it might have to be a personal day. You know, you, you will have those. That's not, you know, the first course of action. And, you know, he put it in as a, what's called a temporary duty elsewhere. So he put it in like, I am working somewhere else. And then he paid for the sub in that particular situation. But there have been multiple times where I've taken a personal day and, you know, driven to another county and and observed a teacher or two. Sometimes just helped out um, because of, you know, developing those relationships. There were times where I, you know, taught all day, left my school, drove two hours to another county to help someone else out because we had sort of built that relationship to, to do that there. So I would say on the base level, communicate with your administration so that they understand what you're doing because they might have a way to help. And then sort of worst case scenario, if you really need to get out there, you always you always have your personal days. Mm-hmm. Good. I don't think I answered all your questions, but- No, that was that. perfect. Exactly <laughs> what I needed. <laughs> that was great. Um, and then the last level on your- um levels for the networks of support was just educators kind of in general. Right, right, right. And that I sort of alluded to that just a second ago. Mm-hmm. At some point, you really have to get outside of your district. And that's going to depend on a lot of things. There are some districts in Florida specifically that are huge. So you could probably spend a few years <laughs> um, and, you know, visiting different people and and not make it all the way around. But especially if you're in a smaller area, you want to get out of the, out of your bubble Um, and experience different things. You want to experience, you know, different ways of teaching the same concept. You want to experience people who don't agree with you um, philosophically or pedagogically so that you can sort of have your ideas challenged. Um, And you just really want to surround yourself with people who are better than you. Like, that's how you learn. That's how you get better. 
And that doesn't necessarily mean in the same exact subject. You know, I will, you know, I remember, I think I talked about this as well. Like I remember going to a dance recital um, in New York and so many things about the way that they structured that dance recital ended up being the way that I structured my beginner concert. Um, because I was like, oh, this is this is a really cool idea. I can I can do this. Um, and so I took pretty much the exact structure that they had, give or take, and I applied it to to um, to my classroom. And I just pretty much stole that idea. And it was one of the most popular things I did. You know, I would sit. <clears throat> I'm not a sports person. You can ask anyone. I'm not a sports person. But I would <laughs> see how schools would have, you know, signing days for their student athletes and how excited they were and this and the other. And I also applied that with my beginners where I was like, oh, when you find out what instrument you're going to be playing, that's going to be a signing day. That's like, that's going to be an event. And it would, and it was an event and I would have invited administrators and guidance counselors and other teachers and they would come and cheer and hand out trophies and certificates and balloons. But it required sort of looking outside of my bubble, both area wise and content area wise to, to see what ideas are really powerful and how they could be applied to my specific subject. Awesome. Cool. You've talked about a lot of examples um, throughout <laughs> those four, but um, do you have any more um, practical ways that you want to highlight that we can use our network regardless of the level to help us grow as educators? Mm, that's a really good question. I would say if you... Um, think about the different areas that I've mentioned. And and this might seem a little tedious, but if you actually just write a quick list, not like something intensive, but if you just write a quick list, if you find that you can't think of someone in one of those areas or a few people in one of those areas, then that sort of gives you a targeted thing to work on. Um, you know, you want those close friends or colleagues um, who who you feel most comfortable around, but you also really want to develop <clears throat> that sort of uncomfortable circle. You know, there were people I sent recordings to where <laughs> the feedback they sent back hurt my feelings, but I needed <laughs> but I needed that because I had been leaning so heavily on my personal circle. At some point, I mean, hopefully you've developed that circle in a way where they'll be honest, but they're still your friends, and there's still going to be some level of bias because they love you, they care about you, they care about your feelings. So you got to send some things to some people who do not care about your feelings. That is that is important. And whether that is sending a quick clip of yourself teaching, whether that's sending a quick clip of, you know, part of a piece or, or a song that you're working on or working on with your students or something like that, um, you know, put yourself out there in every circle. And I would say the biggest piece of advice I can give there is there's no such thing as getting ready for that. Um, and, you know, you hear that advice a lot. Um, and I and I hear that feedback coming from um, seasoned teachers and educators often where, you know, they'll offer to help a young teacher and they're like, okay, well, I just have to get ready. Well, that doesn't make sense. The whole reason I'm coming to help you is because you're not ready. <laughs> and a lot of times when we're inexperienced, our version of getting ready means building in more bad habits that the experienced person was trying to come help you with. So, you know, I've had guests come out as early as the second week of school. Um, and, and I think that's really important if you can just go ahead and get yourself out there and sort of get over that vulnerability piece early on, then your whole life is just easier because you're like, okay, well now I've already embarrassed myself. So here we go. Now all we can do is go up. 
Um, and, and, that, and that's really, 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 really important. And I had guests who ended up, you know, coming out to help me every year. So they saw my development as a teacher. They saw the concepts like, oh, yeah, I told you this two years ago. And you've really worked on that. Now let's work on this. That was really, really valuable. And it also like felt like a nice pat on the back. Like, you know, I remember intonation was something I worked on a lot. <clears throat> and one of my mentors, you know, for a few years, was like, mm, yeah, this tuning, mm, yeah, this tuning. And then there was the year where he taught where that was a compliment. And I was like, yes, tuning. And he's like, okay, here's the next thing. Um, but that's what you need <laughs> in your life. Other, you know, otherwise you just sort of stagnate, which we never want because kids know. <laughs> kids know they always know and I love that you brought up uh vulnerability again I was going to ask you to kind of expand on your thoughts about vulnerability and the importance which you did a little bit but is there anything mm-hmm. else you feel like you want to add um if you remember that no one wants you to be bad <laughs> then then that's when the vulnerability is sort of okay you know even even the person like what well, I said I sent the feet or the recordings and they sort of hurt my feelings a little bit it's because they didn't want me to be bad. Like it wasn't personal. They weren't saying like, you, Ajori, are a terrible person. They were saying, I don't think this sounds right. I don't think this is stylistic. And that was because they wanted me and they wanted my students ultimately to be better. So I think when you're sort of weighing everything um, in terms of vulnerability, you just have to like push the ego to the side. And if you can push the ego to the side very quickly, then I think it makes everything a little bit easier uh, because that's the hard part is the pushing it to the side. But also Mm -hmm. it makes people see how willing you are to take on help and it makes people want to help you. No one wants to help someone whose ego is in the way because it's going to impede their ability to help you. So now they're taking their time out of, you know, they're already very busy schedule and they're having to like navigate around your ego to the point that they're spending more energy on that than they are helping you and your students. No one wants that. Um, that's a waste of their time. So, you know, if you can just sort of acknowledge that the ego's there, because it is there for everyone. I mean, they're very humble people. I'm not saying that there aren't, but there's still some level, rightfully so, of we as artists always take pride in our work. And as teachers, a lot of our work is through our students. So we take pride in what our students create. Um, and pride and ego are not necessarily the same thing. So if you can acknowledge, I am proud of this, and also I can be better, push the ego over, then the vulnerability is 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 fine because you're you understand we're all here for my students to be better. Mm, yes, I love that. All about the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Always. <laughs> um, <laughs> So my last question I have for you is um, what can collegiates, college students be doing right now to help build those circles while we're still in college, you know, before we go out teaching? Okay. So I would say in related specifically to college, make sure that you are meeting, talking to, collaborating with people who aren't just specifically in your area. So if you are an elementary or general music ed major, make sure that you're collaborating with some people who who plan on teaching secondary or who that's their area of expertise. And just sort of like cross collaboration. If you're a band person, hang out with chorus people. If you're a chorus person, hang out with orchestra people. If you're an orchestra person, hang out with someone who specializes in digital music or is doing commercial music or is doing music therapy. Like really develop your circle so that it is um so that it is not so specific 
that everyone's sort of on the same train of thought, because that's also going to expose you to professionals in those different areas. Because now you're hearing your chorus friend name, you know, choral famous people who maybe you haven't heard of, but now you're hearing those names come up and that, that's going to be in the back of your mind. And, you know, now you're talking to, you know, these music therapy people and they're talking about, you know, oh, you know, some of these really, really renowned music therapists. Like you need some level of awareness of all these people um, because it's only going to help make you better. Um, and honestly, if you think about some of our most respected, you know, professors and colleagues and things like that, they have some level of strong relationship with some other area. You know, specific to FSU, if you think about, you know, let's say Dr. Madsen, or if you think about Dr. Darrow before she retired, Dr. Darrow is one of the people who has both music ed and music therapy degrees. You know, Dr. Um, Dr. Madsen is similar. Like, a lot of these people have collaborated with so many different um, departments or areas that has only made them better. You know, if you think about Dr. Madsen again, you know, there were so many studies that were Madsen and Madsen where he was collaborating with his brother who was in the psychology department. Well, think about how much that developed him as a music educator where he was constantly in a department that's completely separate from, and not at the same time from what he does. That, you know, that's a great experience together. Yes, that's great. Thank you. Um, all right, well, Mr. Spencer, thank you so much for meeting with me today. This has been wonderful. So much great advice. Uh, we appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's all we have for today. I hope you learned as much as I did about building relationships in your school program and your community and took to heart Mr. Spencer's lessons about vulnerability and putting yourself out there. Relationships are a two-way street and we only get as much out of them as we put in. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Music Talks, discussions on music education. This podcast is recorded by the FL NAFME Collegiate Advocacy Committee and edited by myself. Music for today's episode is Fretless by Kevin MacLeod, and a link can be found in the description of this podcast. Remember to check out the FL NAFME Collegiate website, flnafmecollegiate.com, for more information on our organization, and we thank you for your support. This is Megan Wright for Music Talks. Until next time.